Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright, and my metabolism is four times slower than the average man. <laughs> Today we're talking about Minute 91, which begins with Steve's complaints and ends with Steve's resolve. Joining us on the show today, we have Jay Shepard, the mad genius behind MCULocationScout.com. Hello, Jay. Yay! Hey, guys. Uh, thrilled to have you on uh, this season again, talking about some locations and everything going on in these minutes. So, yeah, this um, is great. I'm I'm looking forward to talking about uh, Captain America, the first Avenger here. <laughs> the first one. So, well, let's kick it off. Uh, we have, uh, at this particular moment, uh, we are in the the remains of the whip and fiddle pub um it i mean it's looking pretty sad it's post uh bombing and we have peggy carter she has found steve rogers here trying desperately to drown his sorrows finding it nigh impossible due to his speedy metabolism uh, before we get into the actual conversation jay uh as the man behind the mcu location scout uh, let's talk about the location here. We're at the Whip and Fiddle, and I know this is not the Whip and Fiddle. This is this is a set as it's all destroyed. But I mean, you know, you know where the real real Whip and Fiddle is. I know we talked about it a little bit before, but we'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, they um they actually filmed in a pub. Well, the I don't know about the bombed out version. I'm guessing it could be a set uh, dressing version of the actual pub that they used for the non-bombed out version uh called crocker's folly in london on aberdeen place so it's you know instead of actually building a bar set they just shot in the corner of this bar and there's actually some um you know 360 or some photos i believe inside the bar you can kind of see the back room that they used where where steve and bucky and uh, the rest of the helen commandos are hanging out that's awesome have you had a chance to visit it I have not. I have not been to uh, Europe. I've, I've been to Europe, but not since they have started uh, filming the uh, uh, the movies and everything like that. Gotcha. Gotcha. And when I went before, I was too young to go into a pub. So <laughs> as far as anybody knew, as far as anybody knows, correct. Mother. <laughs> uh, well, it, I mean, it looked great during the pub scenes. I loved the just kind of the life and the vibrancy that it had here. And here, I mean, you know, I mean, it's night. It was actually scripted as day. I'm guessing that Johnston wanted to change this tonight because I, I feel like this conversation feels designed to be in this really darkly lit space. I mean, how does the look of this uh, scene and then on top of that, the the entire film. I mean, how does that how does that work for you, Jay? You know, like you said, uh, this is where Steve kind of gets his resolve. So this is the dark, quote unquote, moment where, you know, everything is is looking bad, right? We've just lost Bucky. And, you know, Steve doesn't know how he's going to go on. He's he's trying to get drunk, which is interesting watching this now. Um, having seen uh, She-Hulk just recently, seeing the connections about how, you know, characters drinking uh, you know, and can't get drunk at reminding me that, oh, yeah, the Hulk serum and the super soldier serum are not too far off, right? There's a lot of uh, crossover in all of that. So, yeah, I feel like the, like the lighting, the set design, the fact that it's just, you know, it's, it's literally bombed out. It, it is reflecting, you know, Steve's 
um, emotional state at this point. Uh, Pete, any thoughts on the 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 look? You have to remember, I we're recording this, and I've had to miss a couple of recording sessions, which <laughs> means in the scope of a Marvel movie minute, I've missed like a year, and so. <laughs> Last time I was here, the the pub was fine, y'all. Like, it was really okay. What did you do when I was away? Uh, I, I think it looks great. It is, it, I, I like the ashen look of it all. It is, the, the thing I actually struggle with with this scene is not anything to do with the look. It's to do with the, the, like, the world's smallest violins playing for the superhero and how hard the world is because he can't get blitzed. Uh, it is, it is the, I, I get the darkness before the dawn look at all, but okay, Steve, it's, it's time to buck up, super soldier it up. It's, it's really, would you say it's time done. to bucky it up? I was going to do that, Andy, but I left the joke for you. <laughs> <laughs> bucky up camper. Bucky up, Steve. Everything's going to be okay. You know, what, what I do love about this, and I am glad that Johnston did shift this tonight because i i love this dark tone for the scene that you know they've got the the fog machines working outside to kind of give it that kind of foggy look through the windows and it has this very kind of noirish sort of feel you know peggy comes in in this overcoat and so at you know there's a casablanca vibe there's the noir vibe like it, it really captures the essence of a lot of the the look of films of the of the era and so i really like that johnston was kind of going for that and then with this darkness it just it just amplifies that um something else just you know sticking in the technical side of things for a few more minutes something else that i noticed that i thought was actually kind of interesting um when we're close in on Steve and Peggy as they're having their conversation, their dialogue sounds like we're nice up and close. When we cut to the wide shot and they have a couple lines, it actually sounds like we're picking up the audio from farther away and you have a little more echo to the tones of their voice. You don't always hear that in film. Oftentimes when you cut to wider shots, you're still using kind of that same up close audio. But here I liked how suddenly it cuts to this audio that has a little more echo to it. I I, I bring this up because, uh, Pete, you and I had um, uh, Michael Koff, a, a sound mixer on on a speakeasy episode that we did with the next reel talking about snatch. And he was talking about how frustrating it is for him as a sound mixer when he's watching films and filmmakers, when they move the camera, they aren't kind of respecting the space and the sound that it creates. And that was just something that I noticed here as I was rewatching this minute that Johnston really was paying attention to the way the sound changed when we went from a close shot to a wide shot. Uh, I don't know if either of you noticed that, but I it's something that really it caught my eye. Caught your ear. Caught my ear. <laughs> it right. feels like an amateur mistake that you had to be told that, Andy. I'm sorry, it's... but uh, I'm, I'm on Team J. I did not actually notice this, that sense of depth, and I feel like I should have because we're in the era of spatial audio now. Spatial audio is everywhere, right? Like, I feel like that should have been... Maybe it's just too... Now it's just... Uh, you know, rampant and everything. I mean, my podcasts are now spatially audioized, so maybe I just don't even uh, didn't even hear it. It, it does give that uh, a little bit of that documentary feel that I think uh, parts of this film have. Yeah. Um, it kind of vacillates between the documentary vibe, you know, and then the you know the superhero action moment vibe, uh, which I think we're going to be getting into here in in, in future minutes. Yeah, I think there's there's that that sense to it that uh you know, even though we likely are on a set here, 
it really feels like Johnston was doing what he could to kind of capture this as authentically as possible. I, I like that. I like that, especially with Johnston. I think he's a strong filmmaker with with moments like this. Um, all right. So we talked about, uh, so Pete was complaining that Steve was trying to drown his sorrows. Um, <laughs> but thanks, I, thanks I, for that. But I do think it's interesting. I mean, you know, I don't know if either of you have ever been so down or, or distraught about something that you're drowning your sorrows, but I did think it was an interesting character moment. And, you know, I suppose to that extent, we're at the bottom of the second act. This is the low point for your protagonist as they, uh, you know, find their resolve to move on with the story. So it makes sense that we're here. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I guess for me, I I kind of like that there is this moment here with Steve as, you know, he's he is, you know, uh, frustrated about the loss of Bucky, very saddened by it. And as we kind of get through the course of this conversation, blames himself for it. And I think that's the key thing here. And that often comes with this sort of situation is that the person who is... Uh, frustrated is blaming themselves i don't know we we watched the moment it, it, you know and peggy read the report as she said steve says that it wasn't or that it was his fault peggy says it wasn't from looking at the film i mean how do you two feel as far as uh the way that the scene played out does steve have any fault in the situation you're talking about the bucky fall yeah the bucky fall fault I don't see he has any fault at all. I think I can absolutely see, though, to your point, and I will, I, I will absolutely, I, I, I bow to you, sir, about uh, uh, feeling like this is um, that I should maybe lay off my "woe is me, Steve" angle because I can <laughs> see why he would internalize this as his fault. Right? I mean, he watched the event like first person, right there, felt the the fall and was not able to do anything about it. And I think, you know, my, my sense is watching that scene again that, you know, he is that part of the grief is I am capable of so much. Why couldn't I do this? And that's what leads to that, like, post-traumatic stress, right? Like, I was a part of it and helpless. And that survivor's guilt is is a legit thing. It, and It's the so, whole Superman the movie sort of deal where yeah. Superman can do everything except he can't save Lois. So he turns back the earth and and then saves lois saves lois why couldn't steve just do that (laughs) i I don't know spin the spin Spin the planet around yeah yeah i mean well and i mean it's not just the fall i suppose well i wonder how far back steve starts blaming himself i mean obviously when he and bucky hopped on the train they were lured in uh you know presumably Zola had some sort of plan in place to deal with with uh, Captain America. The door shuts between them and they both have to fight off Hydra agents. Uh, and then when he finally gets the door open, there's this uh, the, the, the trooper that he had been fighting got back up again and blasted him. It hits Steve's she or it, it, it hits the shield and knocks Steve down and Bucky picks up the shield. So like is he blaming himself for the entirety of everything that went on in the train since they went in and immediately were uh, surprised left and right by things that were happening? Or is it specifically just that, you know, like that he wasn't there to save Bucky when, you know, Bucky when he should have been the one holding the shield, not Bucky, so that Bucky didn't get blown out the door? I don't know. I, I feel like there are so many points that he could 
blame himself for. I suppose that's kind of the way that your mind yeah. works, right? Like, like I could have done this. I should have done that. We should have had, as we talked about last week, why didn't the entire team of Howling Commandos, uh, you know, zip line down to the train? Why was it just three of them? I mean, all of these things, uh, you know, likely could be questions. Yeah, I think what Pete said earlier, I mean, it's survivor's guilt. There's not necessarily any um, logical reasoning for it. It's just, it's, it's that guilt. It's, it's, I mean, and you know, it's a, it's a trope as well uh, in films where the, you know, the person who is ultimately good, you know, they're going to take that responsibility, everything they should have foreseen it, or, you know, they should have been able to stop whatever, even if, you know, as we, as the audience look at it and go, no, I mean, there's no way you should blame yourself. It's that selfless act, uh, the heroic person that is is in these um um situations and he pr- also probably feels that since bucky protected him so much growing up that like it's like the least he can do is to protect his friend and yet he i mean he does a good job for a while but then ultimately he fails at that and you know then we see the repercussions further down the line and in, in these other films yeah, part of me, I also wonder, you know, there was a change in the script and the way that, uh, yeah, because sometimes I, I, I look at this and I'm like, I mean, yeah, I get it. It's survivor's guilt and all of this. But like Bucky was hanging off the edge of a door. Steve was not close to him and Bucky just couldn't hold on and fell. And I get it. I mean, as the super soldier, he should have been able to swing down and save him and stuff. But in the script, uh, the way that it happened was that Steve caught Bucky and, and was holding on with Bucky out the door. That's when the uh, the soldier came back in and blasted and blew Bucky's arm off. And Bucky then fell. And so Steve oh, wasn't able right. to actually have pulled Bucky into the train before he got his arm blasted So off. much worse. And oh, well, gross. but <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's definitely a little more. Uh, well, it would have disappeared in blue Tesseract electricity but still what's interesting about that though even though i think it's worse uh, in many ways the fact that it gets because the way it is now it's just a it's just a fluke of timing right like bucky's holding on to the rail and the rail breaks off the door it's not like bucky loses his grip and falls bucky does everything he needs to do to hang on but the rail breaks and steve can't get there in time if Steve's actually holding on to him, that actually increases the stakes for Steve feeling guilty about it and makes his woe is me in the pub scene a little bit more resonant, maybe. Right. Like then it was then I could really see it like they're really leaning in on it was your fault, Steve. You can kind of almost imagine uh, Steve's glove kind of slipping off in Bucky's grip as he's trying to hold on. Right. So tropey. Um, so I, I don't I actually given all that, I don't know which I prefer. I I, I certainly am. You know, I'm I'm less inclined to love the woe is me speech in the in the pub without that, because the way it ends, I, you know, it wasn't your fault, Steve. Let's go get some bad guys. I have to say that I, I think I like it the way that it it stands because it again it shows that Steve is willing to beat him up, beat himself up over the most you know kind of smallest detail in this. Yeah. But that's how much he cares, right? That's yeah. that shows the her- heroism and the heroics that he will go to. It it's almost a mirror of the um, grenade scene. Right. Where he's he's completely 
only thinking about, you know, saving everybody else. He doesn't, isn't concerned with himself at that point, which, and, and I love that scene. And this is kind of, I couldn't throw myself on the grenade fast enough and people died. Right. Mm -hmm. Even though, you know, he has that onus of needing to protect people now because he has the ability to. Yeah. And I suppose that's a big part of it. Like the fact that that's the, the, uh, the Hydra trooper blasted him, hit his shield and bounced, you know, both of them, him and Bucky in such a way that Steve was thrown into the wall kind of dazed which we hadn't really seen before and and that left bucky to be the one to pick up the the shield and so as the super soldier i can see steve saying yeah that was my grenade to throw myself on you know because i'm trying to protect you buck and and you know i failed you because of that and i think there probably is a lot to that you know he he blames himself for getting knocked down like that yeah and and peggy says you know allow barnes the dignity of his choice right it was it's don't second guess him because he's the one who made the decision, right? Like he threw himself on the grenade to make that choice, right? He he was in the position um, and and then fell. And, you know, Steve is now blaming himself for that. Just like if the grenade had really gone off, you know, other soldiers might have said, oh my gosh, you know, I could have done something there. Why did Steve have to die, you know, if if it was a real grenade? So um, it's, there's so much... Um, nuance in the scene and it does go by relatively quickly i mean it's it's you know it's pretty much this just this one minute right there's i think there's just a teeny bit right before yeah. this but it is it is that important turning point like I said it's the end of act two here so it does get us down at the bottom and scoop us up and say all right here's the direction we need to go for the for the rousing closure yeah I, I, it's a it's a powerful and brief scene. I mean, it, it gets the point across. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely understand your point, Pete, that it, it does feel like, you know, there's a little woe is me. But I, I think that they play it okay. I think when it comes after everything that we just saw, you know, with, with the train, with Bucky falling and everything, like, it feels like this, I, I can buy it. Like, I don't feel like it's emotionally unearned to have this here. Right, right. I, I'm, I'm on that train. I, yeah. I, well, don't fall off. That I have train. yet. I have yet to fall off that train. <laughs> um, Jay, we haven't really uh, had a chance to chat with you about any of these characters at this point. But what do you think about the uh, the Peggy and Steve relationship as it's portrayed in the film? I've I've been a fan of the Peggy and Steve relationship. I think it's I think it's fun. I I, I really enjoy what they um, decided to do with uh, Peggy Carter in this uh, in the MCU and. Um, I, I would have liked to see more, right? You you are rooting for these characters, which makes the end of the film, right? That's that much more emotional uh, with the conversation that they have to have about the dance that will never happen or will happen eventually. But as far as, you know, we know at this time, never happens. So um, yeah, it's I, I think Haley Atwell uh, does a great job. And I actually remember I was watching... Yeah, I, I I was a fan of Captain America when it came out. I was watching Black Mirror, uh, the uh, the kind of Twilight Zone show on sure. um, Netflix, and there was an episode, and I'm like, oh wow, this actress is really amazing, and <laughs> it was Haley Atwell, but I didn't recognize her because she was not in period makeup or garb. She was, right. you know, she was just normal 21st century woman, and I didn't recognize her because I hadn't seen her in anything other than. Uh, her her Peggy Carter uh, outfit. So that was I thought that was pretty funny. That's funny. 
She was um, the one where she got like the robo version of her husband. Is that the one? Yeah, uh, General Hux, uh, the robo Hux. Oh, Donald, Donald um, Gleason, right. Yeah, Donald Gleason. <laughs> right. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, I gosh, I should check that one out again. That was a good, that was a good show. That whole show. Uh, I like her. I like her here. And I find, uh, Andy, uh, this may not surprise you. Now that I'm on board with the fact that they're seriously crushing on each other, this has been a long running thing. Now that they're in officially a relationship, in my mind, uh, I I like her even more. And I already liked her, but I like her even more. And I think her like getting the opportunity to give him this pep talk in this bombed out bar is kind of perfect in in the the arc of their relationship. I think it's I think it's really great. And I think she is uh, I think she's just wonderful. So, well, let me ask you both. Let me ask you both this, because. The last time we saw the two of them together, remember, we just finished this montage of Steve and the Howling Commandos or the Invaders, whatever you prefer to call them, uh, attacking Hydra Base after Hydra Base. And it was a montage that really kind of took the course of a year plus. It was a, a very long kind of time for the montage. We never see Steve and Peggy through the entirety of the montage together. It's always him and the Howling Commandos fighting. And she's basically doing her job of taking flags off of the map. I don't know why that's what she's been demoted to, but that's essentially what she's doing. Before that, we saw, right before the montage, is when he finds his shield, and he's very happy with it. She walks in. Remember, she and Steve had kind of had a falling out because she just saw him uh, kissing Private Lorraine, or rather Private Lorraine kissing him. And in, you know he had this whole fondue retort and everything, and she walks into uh, Stark's lab and she shoots at Steve four times and walks out. And that was the last time that they had interacted. So there had been a lot of animosity at that point in the relationship. Does that affect how you read things here as far as like, is this like Peggy's chance to acknowledge, hey, we're past that? We have a relationship here of, of friendship or whatever we're calling it. Uh, let's move past that so that we can have this more serious conversation. How does that change either of your reads on all of this? No, I think it's I, uh, call on me. I, th- I think <laughs> that this is uh, it, this is exactly that. This is the opportunity for her to say, you know what? Everything else we were dealing with is petty. And you just lost somebody very important to you, and we're in the middle of a very serious thing, and it's time to have very serious conversations about it. And I think that feels totally natural. Context is everything, and it's changed, and the filmmakers and the writers acknowledge that, and this scene is the showcase of that transition. Yeah, it would have felt weird if they had picked up and and he was like, I'm still mad that you shot at me, you know, that especially like you said, after yeah. all this time has passed. Yeah, yeah. Um remember that thing with the shield? I'm still bitter. <laughs> and that's what a a a poor writer would have put together in in this place potentially, I think. Right. So yeah, it's I, I am glad that we didn't necessarily need to return to that. I, I think that it was fine having this moment. Uh, you know, I, I kind of wish that there was a little bit of the two of them at some point in the montage, like in a meeting in the briefing room or something. And we could have had a little bit of kind of like, what's the sense of things now as time has been passing? Um, and it's just going straight to this. But I do think it's fine because I do think it does show 
a maturity for both of them to acknowledge, you know, yeah, like you just said, Pete, that stuff was petty. Let's move past that, that and focus on the things that are more important. Yeah, that would have been interesting to have something in the montage, but also, I don't know, I, it might have broken the rhythm of what, you know, of how they set it up since they were, you know, dealing with like the advancement of the war, right? So then to throw sort of uh, interpersonal elements in there, um, you know, I would it, they they could have made this movie, you know, like an hour longer too, and had an entire <laughs> other subplot in it. But you know, yeah. I I think at this point they, um, you know, Kevin Feige and the and the team were still trying to say, you know, can we make interconnected movies? Like, are we going to be able to get to the Avengers? Uh, I you know, I now it seems like you know they've got so much goodwill they can just you know they can do whatever they want but here i think there was that economy it, people are paying to see captain america movie they're paying to see a world war ii you know era film and you know let's let's get on with that let's create some interesting characters that we can po possibly do something else with in the future but you know we kind of need to keep that momentum going uh, right. with the the main story thread uh well and that certainly happens because as this scene comes to an end you know, we've got that uh, that great moment where Steve has found his resolve. And, and as he's sitting there opposite Peggy, you know, he he tells her and us that he is going after Johann Schmidt. That's where the minute ends. Any last uh, comments on anything in this minute or should we wrap it up so we can come back and finish the scene tomorrow? I, I just want to get back to the colonel. If there's any way we can get back to the real protagonist, Tommy Lee Jones, <laughs> I'm I'm in favor of that. Chester Fiddlepot, whatever. Uh, is, is, what's his What's his name here? <laughs> Chester, you know what? Chester Fiddlepot will do just fine. Yeah, there you go. That's that sounds like a tough as brass. Yeah, uh, colonel in the in the army in World War II, right? Allow Chester. me to make a note for the next T-shirt. Chester, Chester Fiddlepot. Fiddlepot. What's the um the the um <laughs> the Goonies character? Um, Chester. No, is it something? Uh, it, it's uh. Is it cobble? No, well, I, now penguin. I'm getting that was Danny DeVito in the copper Batman. pot. Yeah, that's it. Co copper pot. Chester Chester copper pot. Cobble, and Oswald Cobblepot. Oswald yeah. Cobblepot. That's right. Is it Chester <laughs> Copperpot and Oswald Cobblepot? That would be uncanny. <laughs> and now we have I'm Chester Fiddlepot. Surely, surely they're all the related in some way. <laughs> I want my five percent. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jay, remind everybody or tell everybody about your podcast and where they can tune in and read your work and all that good stuff. All my podcasts are on RetroZap.com, uh, where I do all my shows with my good friend Josh. We've got Enjoy Stuff, which is a techno retro podcast where we talk about things from the 70s and 80s and today. And we find the fun in everything. It's There's there's no time for negativity on that show. Uh, if you like superheroes, we've got Scarlet Velocity, a Flash podcast, which will be going into the ninth and final season of the Flash after show Uh talking about all of the crazy things just with the tv show uh we don't we don't really want to get into talking about the flash movie if it ever ends up coming out uh but we do talk about that a little bit in superhero suite where we have news and information about superhero comics uh movies tv shows mcu all that kind of stuff i also do some writing over at retro zap so i've got my sci-fi saturdays which are iconic science fiction films from the 50s to the present October had my 31 days of horror. You can still uh, read all those articles. And of course, I've got mclocationscout.com where you can find the locations of the majority of every 
uh, filming location for all the Marvel Cinematic Universe properties. Prepare to just prepare to lose a day if you go to that that one. Are you are you up through She Hulk? Did you get all that? I am up through She Hulk. Yeah, I'm about ninety percent on She Hulk too because uh, there. Are, you know, I like to try to be as complete as possible. So if there is an out of focus shot of a freeway that she's driving on, I'd like to find it, and uh, <laughs> I did because I grew up in Southern California, and I'm like that. That totally looks like the Antelope Valley Freeway, but. Uh, there are some small things, you know, they filmed in Atlanta and it's like, I, I don't know. It's, it could be a, a soundstage or it could be, uh, sure. you know, someone's Where's, backyard. Quick, to, uh, quick quiz. Where's Emile's retreat? Uh, Emile's retreat is outside of, um, Atlanta. It's a, it's a garden. Uh, it's like, a uh, an event venue for, uh, weddings and things like that. But the, the column that they've got and the little, um, water features and everything yep that's all there and they got the you know the little buildings and everything it's amazing nice amazing resource again yeah plan to lose a day if you click through to that site so much because you're gonna love it it's fantastic absolutely well jay thank you thank you so much for joining us today we certainly appreciate it absolutely thanks for having me and pete thanks as always not pete andy chester fiddlepot Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show.